Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Welcome in Take Command Podcast. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. I am coming to you from a top secret location studio (laughs) in Las Vegas, Nevada. Off the strip, Logan. I know. It is like the... I don't know if you want people knowing, but like that's like just a podcast studio that existed in the building you were in. Just like they put that in for use for people, which is crazy to me. But tw- welcome to 2024. So they knew that I was coming. Uh, so, but I'll be back on Radio Row later today, uh, talking all things Commanders, obviously. And, and as we get closer to the, the Super Bowl on Sunday, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about that game itself. Uh, if you are a listener to this show, but not the radio show, you might want to dip into the radio show podcast feed uh, because I did have Dan Quinn on the radio show yesterday which was great uh, talking DQ about a bunch of different stuff so definitely check that interview out but today here on Take Command we're going to talk about the two main guys that Dan Quinn has hired Uh, Logan and I obviously talked about it a little bit on the radio on Monday which we then put in this podcast feed I can't believe that was Monday by the way I was like in a different city is a different time uh but yeah we talked about it a little bit but Logan's watched a little bit more tape so we'll dive into that and then as promised the the chunk of today's episode is going to be on the senior bowls we uh finally get a chance to debrief from Logan's trip to Mobile but Logan let's start off with Cliff uh you've watched a little bit more of this offense and I, and I will say quickly on the front end for me the more I talk to people about Cliff, the more I like the hire. Um, we yeah. had Justin Pugh uh, crash the show yesterday. who played for him in Arizona. He really liked him. Um, you know, various people who have covered the league, worked in the league. Just the more people you talk to about him, um, and even DQ was said he's an elite competitor, which to me says this guy's going to work as hard as he needs to to figure it out. Smart guy, um, but just maybe not a head coach. Um, and yeah. if that's the case, as an OC, like, that's not our problem uh, in D.C. because he's he's doesn't have to deal with the defense, doesn't have to deal with running a team meeting, any of that stuff. So what what do you see and, and what more have you been able to find out about Cliff Kingsbury? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, all the stuff that Dan said in his presser, I think really holds true about a guy who, you know, understands kind of the basic tenets of, of offensive football in the NFL, like how to create space horizontally. He does it a little bit differently than like Kyle does or, you know, Sean or whoever, you know, even Mike McDaniel to a certain extent. There's a different identity there. But I think he understands how to like manipulate defenses, how to like his passing game stuff is really high level, you know, just understanding like, hey, if I get in this formation, like this is how they're going to match. This is the weak player. Let's see if we can exploit this matchup, find explosive plays that way. So I think there's a lot of like really high level stuff. I think the thing that that I get is the, the more I watch it 
and the more I talk to people about him, uh, the thing that I have like reservations about is just like, what's your protection plans? You know, cause he is a pass game guy. And like, sometimes, you know, he's a quarterback and he, uh, he played in the air raid and like, that's where the familiarity comes from. And like the con again, the concepts are good. It's just like, what are we going to do from a protection standpoint? If we're going to be five on five all the time, like what's the plan for that? And I think when you look at last year, like one of the issues that this team had was that they're in five on five protections a lot. And when you know what kind of protections you're in and when you don't really drill like the six man pros as much um, where the back stays in or you don't give the quarterback some flexibility to kind of change some stuff, teams can be manipulative of that. And I think you saw that in games last year, specifically against the Giants and against the uh, Miami Dolphins. So that, that's a concern that I have. And also, I think, well, again, passing pass game's great. I think you saw some really good stuff running the football in 2021. But a, a reservation I do have is, like, how committed are you going to be to that? And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you look at the teams that are consistently winning football games the NFL. Like, they run the football effectively. And, again, he doesn't need to be dynamic at it, but you got to be effective. And people say, oh, well, he ran the ball well in 2021. And I say, yes. But a lot of the nuance and a lot of the variation they had there came from the quarterback position. So are you going to be totally reliant on the quarterback running the football um, in the design run game? And if so, you need to make sure you get the right guy for that job. And then if that is the case, like how do you make sure that that guy is healthy throughout the year and, and, and in a sustainable position to execute down the stretch when you need it? And so those are some concerns that I do have. But again, I think all the things you said are 100% correct. But I can be excited and have reservations at the same time. I'm excited for the hire. He's obviously a smart dude, innovative guy, understands NFL football, all of that. But the two reservations I have are just how do you kind of mature the offense from a protection and a run game standpoint? Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I want to get Pew back on the show because he's an offensive lineman and could talk yeah, about that awesome. in detail. Yeah. Um, he literally, it was it was funny because I was, you know, kind of, I saw that he was on Radio Row and I was like, man, I really want to get him on because Justin and I actually went to Syracuse together. Right. And obviously he played for Cliff. So I was like, this will be fun. And he was going to go on with Grant. And it was his last thing for the day. He's literally getting on a plane after that interview. And then he goes and uh or grant's got somebody else on and the producer that's kind of on site working for both shows like literally holds up his iphone and is like do you want pew for five minutes now and i was like and we i was about to go to break and thank god i didn't toss a break so i was like yes pew sits down and we had like three minutes to talk ball so we, i will reach back out to the people that were working with with pew and we'll see if we can get him on the show to talk about this in more detail but i did ask him like what do you make of you know as an o-lineman like what do you make of the run game he's like i like it a lot and i think it fits with what you have in washington um and i said well why, why do you say that like what pieces are do you have in mind and he said i think brian robinson will be fantastic in this run this run scheme he's like he reminds me a lot of james connor who had a monster year yeah. in, in 2021 that gap scheme downhill like physical runner um get him get him vertical and and watch him go and um i, I shouted this out on my radio show the other day but mark bullock did a really good breakdown on his sub stack of, of some of the the innovative stuff that he does do in the run game yeah. in terms of you know whether it's unbalanced lines or pulling you know some like power plays where instead of just pulling the guard he pulls the guard and the tackle but then i think the question becomes how does that stuff match up with the pass game and how does that match right. up with your play action game and i i don't know that that cohesion has existed to a level that i think like from a principle philosophical level you and i see as a necessity to to right. have an optimized 
uh, offense in the NFL. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree. I think Brian Robinson is going to be great because I think one of the things like when you watch in the games that I watched, you know, obviously James uh, James Conner's a big big guy. You know, I think he's like six two six two and a half, 235 pounds. So big old hoss of a man runs hard. And one of the things you love about this scheme is that because of the horizontal dispersion you create from a formation standpoint, guys don't have ideal angles to tackle the ball carrier. So when you get those big shoulders and those big backs running downhill and they can read it out, like it's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be tough for guys to have to make some plays. Like there was a, there was a, cl- a clip in the week uh, nine match against San Francisco where they're running like a counter and the corner comes up to fit it. And, you know, corners aren't, you know, in the NFL, you have fit runs, but that's not who you want doing that all the time, especially on a gap scheme counter. And uh, James Conner just runs him over like he's a speed bump. And there's no pursuit there because of how the run is set up. And so, again, I do think there's a lot of innovative stuff there. It's just it, it it's very quarterback centric and it's it's counter, it's power and it's tight zone. So, you know, how do you get to that in as many ways as possible? And one of the ways you said, oh, unbalanced line, different personnels, like put some window dressing on it. But from what I understand, he tends to be a guy that's very innovative from a pass game standpoint and kind of the run game's an afterthought. I think based on what we've seen around the NFL, especially the last two years, like it's got to be it's got to be kind of a priority. And so I think it can be a priority for him. It's just about, you know, making sure that he sees, you know, like it's it's so refreshing hearing Dan Quinn talk about his blind spots and things he needs to work on and how the right. time away made him think that. And so does Cliff kind of have that same student mindset and say, hey, like this is something I can be better at. You know, we did a good job in 21. We kind of lost it in 2022. Like how do we get back to make sure we're dominant again in that category? And because uh, at times they were dominant, like they ran the football very effectively. And again, there's a lot of stuff there to be excited about. That's just one reservation. I'm like, I want to see. I want to see kind of like how we're going to talk about this later, but how you watch a prospect's film, you're excited about him. I just want to see more. You go watch him at the Senior Bowl, right? Like that's kind of what I'm waiting for, for that final, right. for that final judgment. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. So there's an interview that Cliff did with Sean McVay and Peter Schrager uh, during uh, COVID at one point, Sean and Peter started a podcast because they were bored um, and Cliff was a guest on it. And I'm about halfway through re-listening to it right now. And Cliff talks about how he and Sean both like they had commiserated over this, that when you're running the offense, it's really hard to find time to actually do that when you're the head coach, because, right. you know, Cliff is this famous, like get in at 4 a.m. guy. And he does that so that he can get in and like sit in his office and watch the tape. But he knows by seven, there's something else that he's going to have to do. Right. And I think being my, my hope and clearly Dan's hope and, and every fan listening's hope is that not having to have the team meeting to plan at 7 a.m. means he can get to some of that stuff that maybe wasn't he wasn't able to do fully and can keep that innovation and, and kind of that or prevent the stagnation that's happened in the second half of seasons, pretty much his entire career. That said though, I, I do think it's funny going back and, and looking at some of the stuff because record wise, he had the same problem at Texas tech that he did at Arizona yeah. start well, finish poorly. But like a lot of those finished poorly games, it's like, Oh, how did he get, how did he lose? He had Patrick Mahomes. And it's like, yeah, they lost 50 to 48. <laughs> like Mahomes was throwing for 500 yards and they'd still lose because their defense was terrible. Um, and so I, I do think as an OC, like I get why people are excited. I get why DQ gets them. Yeah. And it's ultimately going to come down to that competitiveness trait and, um, you know, competitiveness being met with humility. 
Um, do you do that review and, and take that elite competitor thing that, that DQ dropped on me uh, yesterday when talking about Cliff and, and have that reflection that Dan did and, and have the humility to implement some of those changes. And, and then it comes out of staff too. Like, yeah. um, you know, who's, who's his old line coach is, is going to be a big Huge. question to me. Um, Huge. and, oh, we should mention by the way, uh, as we record this at, uh, 1145 Eastern on Thursday morning, 845, uh, Pacific here in Vegas, about 20 minutes ago, or maybe a little bit lo longer than that, 40 minutes ago, um, there's a report from ESPN that Brian Johnson, the former Eagles offensive coordinator, yeah. is going to be a part of the staff. What do you make of that as a guy who was a huge part of Jalen Hurts' development and was one of the hot names and people thought he might be in the head coaching cycle this year before things went sideways in Philly? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, you know, I don't know that much about him. I do know that he has a reputation for being a very dynamic, energetic coach. And I think that's um, something that I think Dan Quinn values. And I think getting guys that have had experience with, a teams in the division and B young quarterbacks, I think is invaluable. So I think additions like that are great. I think it's also great having guys that have been coordinators. You know, I think it's important to have that kind of global thought. And I think people forget how impactful that staff is in terms of presenting new ideologies to the, to the head coach or to, to the coordinator, excuse me. So um, I think just having a, a group of guys that are smart football guys that are, they kind of see it the same way. You know, he, um, he ran a version like a spread ish offense when he was at Florida, they ran a spread ish offense when he was in Philly, just kind of finding stuff that works um, and having guys that say like, Hey, I, we tried this, we tried this, this way when I was in Florida it worked pretty good. And then, Cliff can kind of put that in the mixer and say, oh, this works, this doesn't, whatever. And I just also wanted to point out that, like, while I have those reservations about Cliff, like, I'm extremely excited about the football mind. You know what I'm saying? I'm extremely excited about that. Oh, yeah. And I think, um, you know, and I, I'm excited to see how they flush out the staff because I know, like, uh, a strong staff can help a guy like that just be the best version of himself and help with some of that self-reflection and, and growth that we were talking about. Yeah, I think that, well, I, I mean, he, he tried to bring uh, the tight ends coach from Dallas and Dallas blocked it. Mm. Uh, so there, there's already some attempts to try to get, because uh, there's the tight ends coach from in Dallas trying to bring him in as the O-line coach. Oh, nice. Um, and so That'd that got great, blocked. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see where they pull from. Um, can they get someone to make a lateral move or is there someone that got blown out on another staff? It's just a part of a, a mega change that they... They want to keep, um, but I think it's important, obviously, to get a bunch of guys that are going to pull in the same direction. Uh, they're trying to do that on defense. Obviously, that's why Dan hires Witt. They tried to get Al Harris to join, uh, and and Dallas said no to that. So uh, the the staffing battle between the Commanders and the Cowboys is is on here. And uh, unfortunately, the Commanders don't have a lot to offer. But we'll see ultimately uh, who they're able to pull in. As as Dan said. Uh, the other day, he's got a few more tricks up his sleeve. Um, one trick that he does have that I don't think has been applied yet is uh, assistant head coach. So right. that that can be a way to pull someone uh, away from somewhere else and offer them a title and thus a promotion that the the incumbent team can't turn down or can't deny. But uh, we'll see ultimately where that goes. Um, not to short the defense, so we will we will get to Joe Witt Jr. more in detail uh, another day. But and especially I think as they fill out that staff too. But any uh, any initial thoughts that you want to share on Joe Witt Jr. Uh, and, and what he brings from Dallas. I'm just extremely excited for the secondary here in Washington. I think they were, you know, they were kind of much maligned last year, but you know, his, his uh, Joe Witt's pedigree when it comes to secondaries is like insane. Like when you look at his resume, it's like everywhere, everywhere he's been, they're like, they lead the league in turnovers. They lead the league in interceptions. And it's like, for not 
a year or two. It's for long swaths of time. And so I'm, I'm extremely ecstatic to have a guy. And again, his father was a defensive back coach. So he's got this kind of lineage of defensive play. Um, and like when you watch Dallas, I think to that staff's credit, Dan and Witt's credit, like um, they just do such a great job of, of like knowing what to do. Like I had to pull clips for the show a couple of days ago. So I'm watching a lot of Dallas defense and I'm like, man, look at the communication on this short motion here. Look at how they're passing this off. We're not confused. Everyone's got who they're supposed to get. They're funneling people to their help. And that's something that I think it's, it's, it's common, but it's uncommon how well they do it, you know? And I think that there's not, it's not a coincidence that they're able to turn the football over at the rate they do. And I also think it's important to understand that that whoever's coaching the defensive backs there, Al Harris, Witt, I'm sure has a little bit of influence on, he's the defensive pass game coordinator. Um, They understand what they had up front too, in terms of pass rush. So how does the defense here change and evolve to fit the personnel? And, uh, and again, I just think it's going to be a much cleaner group in the back end. They're just going to be much more dialed in. And I just think you're going to just get much better production from guys like Forbes, guys like St. Juice, guys like Quan, guys that we've all been excited about because of their tremendous potential. And I think you've got a staff here that's specifically going to do a great job maximizing that skill set. And again, like to, I got to point this out as well. Everywhere Dan goes, uh, the defensive line, uh, kind of, I don't say regardless of personnel, um, because his defensive line background has a great rush plan each and every week that maximizes that group and that skill set. So, I, again, I think you're getting coaches in here that have specialties that are awesome and are going to help the players um, here. And, again, they're going to look to upgrade, no doubt about it. But I think the um, all of a sudden the existing roster maybe doesn't look quite as as bleak as it did before. And then it, it does definitely become a retooling as opposed to rebuild, like, uh, like he said in his press conference. Yeah, I asked him yesterday actually about how do you go about evaluating uh, who needs to be or like what positions need upgrades and maybe which guys are, you know, uh, which guys were just misused by the, the previous staff. And he said, you know, we just got to make cut ups on every guy and we start in house and like we don't we're not going to look out until we look in. So they're going to review everybody here and see what they think they can do with them and then uh, invest in free agency in the draft in, in the ways that they need. So uh, obviously a lot more to talk about as we continue to dive into the tape for that. Uh, And then Logan actually is going to have an interview with both coordinators as part of Command Center over on the Commander's YouTube page uh, next week. So after Logan gets a chance to talk to these guys, we'll debrief here on Take Command. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Continuing on Take Command with the much-awaited Logan Paulson Senior Bowl debrief. Uh, Little, you know, small coaching news items got in the way of what people really want, which is draft nuggets, Logan. Uh, You you now have a week to reflect on on the week that you had down in Mobile. Uh, Where did your eyes wind up going for for much of that week, um, both in general and, and kind of maybe some positions that you were you were biased to look at because they're gigantic needs for Washington. Yeah, so first off, like if you want to hear my thoughts on every single day that I was down there, we did a podcast with the command center crew every day, and that's kind of my immediate reaction. And so now you're getting a much 
more mature, much older, much wiser Logan Paulson, who's reviewed the film. So uh, this is that. That's take this, command, baby. This, We're notoriously mature and wise. That's this podcast. But if you want the uh, the daily updates on some players, just hear some different names, go check that out on the Commander's um, Instagram, uh, not Commander's Instagram, Commander's uh, Podcast Network. So, um, so first off, high-level thoughts is, you know, you go into the senior bowl with some like preconceived notions, like specifically like positions of strength, positions of weakness. And so like, I thought there weren't going to be that many edge rushers down there, right? Guys that would have like, you know, have dynamic kind of pass rushing assets. And I came out of there going like, with those second round picks, those high second round picks, there's going to be some ball players there. I thought the offensive line had kind of a unique situation in the sense that they had a bunch of guys who are going to measure and look the part very well, but are a little bit green. But the talent, like the athletic ability of those guys is very, very high end. Um, I came in also thinking kind of I was a little bit mixed on the receivers because none of the top flight guys are going to be there. You know, there's like those seven right. or eight top flight receivers. None of them were going to be there. Neighbors, Harrison, et cetera. Right. And uh, the two guys from Texas weren't coming. The two guys, you know, the other guy from LSU, Brian Thomas Jr. wasn't going to be there. And I was kind of like, well, who's going to be there? And the name was kind of Xavier Leggett. And then you realize, man, like there are some outstanding outstanding receivers here you know um defensive back there's a couple names that stick out to you but you know none of them really like kind of separated themselves there was probably five guys that were pretty good but i think the talent at receiver was that was kind of the story of the day that the kind of unexpected talent on the defensive line and just kind of the athletic freaks on the offensive line were guys i was just like holy cow and then the other one i think that i was a little surprised by was the running backs and the reason i was surprised by the running backs is because there was I think there's 10 running backs there. There's five on a team. And just the ability for all of them to catch the football at a high level, I thought, you know, for the last couple of years, this team's been looking for like a true scat back, third down back. And I'm like, man, there's there's a bunch of those guys in this year's draft that get you excited, who have a lot of juice or explosive playmakers um, and can catch the football like receivers. So um, in terms of needs for Washington, I kind of came out like, even though this isn't like the top end running back, there's no Saquon, there's no um, – elite player there's no jameer gibbs uh there are some guys mm. that definitely fill needs for you from a talent standpoint yeah i do wonder i feel like that scat back uh is kind of something washington needs like they've got b rob they've got rodriguez is yeah. kind of b rob insurance but that pass catching uh versatile player especially like if cliff is gonna spread it out and have a you know 11 yeah. or a 10 you know five wide 10 personnel type of thing um and yeah, that could be that could be interesting to see if that guy can split out and, and you get some of those formations maybe out of eleven or maybe yeah. out of some different some different personnel groupings, but similar uh, formationally. Um, as far as the lines go, we know that that is a huge emphasis for for Dan and for Adam uh, is getting the offensive line and and the rest of the defensive line outside of that middle with Allen and Payne, which is already set, assuming that those two guys are in place uh where do you where do you lie a little bit deeper maybe some names on the edge class like can they can they get a starter because they're not gonna i would doubt they take one at two um i guess if they trade down maybe they get you know all of a sudden they're sitting at seven or 13 they trade with like atlanta or vegas or somewhere in that realm they could take an edge player in the first round but presuming that the first edge guy comes for them at at 34 or whatever that uh that bears pick is 46 i think um what Actually, it's not that late. But anyway, 39, whatever it is. I think it's 40 40 or something. 438, maybe, something like that. Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, whatever. 
the Bears pick. Uh, what are some names to watch? And did any of the guys at the Senior Bowl, or are those the names that we're watching? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Latu Latu's there, and he's probably the most dynamic edge rusher, but he's going to be like a top 20 pick. I mean, he's going to have some medical issues. He's not going to test really well, but his film is amazing. Like, he's an amazing football player. And so he's kind of in that same category as like Jared Burst, the defensive end from Florida State, or, um, or Dallas Turner from Alabama. Like, those guys are kind of the top three dudes. Those are going to be first-round players. And I guess one of them could slip out, but they're not slipping out of the top 25. So a guy that I was high on going in was a guy named uh, Darius Robinson from Missouri. He's 6'5", he's 295. And if you've consumed any Senior Bowl content since the Senior Bowl, you know about this guy. If you haven't, you probably haven't heard of him. He is an absolute monster. He plays defensive end. I think he could play stand-up in a 3-4. He's got heavy hands. He's got violent, violent striking capability. He can rush from the inside as a three technique. He can rush the perimeter. He's strong. He's aggressive. He's competitive. And like when I was listening to the press conference, obviously I just come back from the Senior Bowl, and I was like, Darius Robinson is the guy. Like he is the guy. And a lot of people had fourth-round grades on him going into this process. Um, I think he might be a first round player now, but again, if he slips out of the first round and you're sitting there at 35 and he's there, I think the way Dan plays this defense, I think with the needs on this defense, I think you sprint that pick in. I don't think you even think twice about it. I think he's a tremendous football player and he's kind of built and wired the way that Dan wants these guys to be wired. Another guy is uh, Braswell from Alabama. Again, a little bit stiff, um, got some power qualities as an edge rusher, 6'4". Uh, I think he's 256. Um, very, very physical, a little bit limited in terms of kind of pass rush moves, but a solid guy, played at Alabama, good football player. Show, again, flash that power trait. Adisa Isaac from Penn State is another guy that I thought had a really good week, and everyone kind of, kind of talks about Chop Robinson. Again, Chop Robinson's a guy that, depending on the interview process, depending on how you like him, might slip there to that uh, top end of the, uh, the second round. Um, Chop is a guy that is not very technical, but he's going to probably run a 4-4 and probably jump 42 inches. Like, he is a freak. So if he were to slide just because of preference, maybe that's a guy that catches your eye. But Adisa Isaac is the guy that plays opposite him. He is, uh, he's is—he's got some real ability, real juice. He, you know, Talisi Fuaga is probably the best offensive lineman there from Oregon State, 6'6", 335, 340. And he hit him with a bull rush and hit him with some speed. And you're like, that's an NFL offensive tackle. That's an NFL winning pass rush. So I like that. And I think those guys were probably the guys that stuck out the most. Austin Booker from Kansas is another guy uh, that is very, very technically raw. 6'6", 245, not quite developed there physically, but showed some juice and probably like a, a third-round guy, third, fourth-round guy that, again, could fill a need for the commander. So I came out of this process actually thinking, man, there are some pieces here that, that could potentially fill needs uh, depending on the type of system they want to run, but some good competitive physical football players at the top of the second round. And then there's other guys that I think could kind of, you know, maybe that third, fourth round range, you're like, okay, we get a good football player here that fills the need for us. So it's so interesting hearing you talk about some of these guys that are raw and have potential and feeling optimistic about that, yeah. uh, optimistic about that. And that's the Dan Quinn effect. Yeah. Like you just, you think about what he did with Micah and taking a guy that was seen as a middle linebacker and turning him into arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL, uh, stretches inarguably the best pass rusher in the NFL over the last couple of years. And you think like uh, Chop Robinson with that speed and you're like, well, that was what Parsons was. Yeah. Um, you know, a guy who can just run people down explosive can you teach him how to turn some of that speed into power um he's obviously already very powerful um in his own right but that kind of uh 
prospect or a Darius Robinson, like you mentioned, yeah. you know, he said he can rush from all these different spots. And I'm like, well, that's the Micah Parsons piece. Right. Like, and not, not that Dan needs Micah Parsons to coach. He didn't have that piece that he moved around um, as kind of the, the queen on the chessboard, if you right. will, um, in Seattle. And he did just fine. But if he has that and can replicate that in some meaningful way, like that would be obviously very, very beneficial. Yeah. And the confidence level to do that compared to, uh, kind of the 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 confidence level we've had the last couple of years uh, with with a piece like that where you're like no you need the perfect piece I think it's really exciting and it right. shows you how much the coaching matters and I, I'd also ask this is there anybody like one or two guys that really sticks out from what Dan is looking for and he would define that as you know physical explosive and strains like hell um that that is kind of what they're they're looking for that's the the type of player that they want they want a player who you know you see him they're yeah. straining they're working hard but they're powerful and explosive and like that's a commander's player is there is there one or two of those guys among that list that really stands out yeah i mean um, darius robinson he was he was voted the practice player of the week for a reason like he just finished the football he was violent he was aggressive with it i mean like he could not he could not have had a better week of practice, you know, like, and he, I like his film a lot and I had a second round grade on him, but dude, he was an animal. Another guy is Brandon Fisk, Fisky. I'm sorry. That's how you say him from Florida state. He's a defensive tackle, but in terms of like the commander's new player, dude had a motor that would not stop defensive tackle six, four, 295 pounds. But man, his motor was fantastic. He'd get blocked. He'd get pushed down. He'd snap up like there was just no, absolutely no stop to his game. And I know he's got shorter arms or like 32 or 31 in inches, which is for a defensive tackle pretty short. But I could, there were there were plays where I could not take my eyes off of that guy just because there was a relentlessness to him that you're just like, oh my God, like I want that guy. I want those two football players because I, I can tell they love it. I can tell they're passionate about it. And it was just, it was fantastic. So I, I think those guys are guys that stick out to me. I'm just kind of looking over my notes here real quick. Another guy is... Uh, Martian Keelan, like he was awesome. He's from Western Michigan, edge, kind of like, I think he was 6'3", 270-ish pounds, but played with good power, played with great bend, that same kind of relentlessness. And I love, I love seeing that. So again, there's like five or six guys right there. I know I mentioned a defensive tackle, but Keelan is an edge yeah. and he'll go in the second round. And I think like th those are four dudes right there that I think are value edge. Obviously, I prefer... Uh, um, Keeland over the other two guys, um, Isaac and uh, Braswell, because I think he's just a better football player. And I prefer um, Darius Robinson over all, all of them. But like all of those guys are good players. All of them play hard. All of them are super competitive. So I, I, I just, I love what that brings. And I coming into the opportunity, you're kind of like, man, this is a weak edge class. There's nobody there. But those are four dudes. You're like, man, we're a better football team if they're on the roster. So. I'm excited to see everybody's mock draft screenshots now include Darius Robinson at 34 for, for Washington. I hope uh, so. And I would say that we probably are due maybe next week for mock draft 1.0 for us. Yep. Um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, I think we should do two rounds, AKA we get three picks instead of just, all right, uh, we did the commanders pick it too. And uh, that's our mock draft. It was a little more fun when it was in the middle or a little more podcast friendly when you were in the middle of it uh, last year. So let's apply some of those same questions to the offensive line real quick, and then we will get to the week of the quarterbacks and especially uh, Bo Nix, who seemed to really shine down there. But offensive line-wise, if the commanders want to be able to come out of this draft, and especially the first uh, really three rounds with at least one starting offensive lineman, 
what kind of candidates are we looking at? Yeah, so I think it depends on whether you're looking internal or, you know, tackle, like guard or tackle here in terms of what what kind of player. Obviously, Tlisi Fuaga is like the big name. Some people have him as the number two tackle on their board. Absolute monster out of Oregon State. I was, um, I want to say I was a little disappointed with his performance. Again, nothing crazy. His film's excellent, but a guy that is still going to go probably top 15, it's just he could have gone top 10. I think now I see maybe a little bit of guard to his game that I didn't see there before, like kind of like Brandon Sheriff type player. Uh, then there's the Tyler Guyton. You're going to hear that name a lot over the next couple of weeks. He's the guy from Oklahoma, 6'7". I think he's 320. Big old Haas, long arms, former tight end, played running back in high school, an absolute Whew. beast. But because of that athletic potential, he's probably going to be a, you know, a first-round guy. I think he's worked his way in that. Um, Josh Morgan from Arizona, another guy that I think people are going to hear a lot about. He is um, he's interesting because I think people thought he was a tackle. I think he's going to play guard now. I think he's 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 going to be a good football player, but could be a guard, could slide into the second round, maybe at that 35 spot. Still feels like a first round player to me, kind of like um, the gentleman that Dallas drafted in the first round last year from uh, uh, Tyler Smith. Tyler Smith. Yeah, kind of feels like that a little bit, a little technically raw. Good play strength, really good athlete, but going to be a good guard at the next level. If he does slide in there, I think you feel really good about it. So the problem is I think all these guys that played well are going to bump into the first round. You know, um, um, Powers Johnson from Oregon, the center there, I think he was – people were kind of floating him in the second round range. Big old dude, 6'3", I think he's 340, moves like an absolute maniac. But he is going to probably be a first-round player now as well. So that kind of leaves you with a bunch of guys that – you know, I think maybe you aren't necessarily household names. And first one is Patrick Paul, and he's uh, he's Chris Paul's brother. So kind of a funny story there from Houston. He's six seven. I think he weighed in at three thirty five. He had thirty six inch arms. So absolutely the prototype for the position. Like he is like what you're looking for for an offensive tackle. Uh, the problem is very technically raw. Like he went to Houston. Not sure how good the O line coaching was there. He was so much bigger and stronger than everybody. So he kind of got away with some stuff that. Um, you know, that you wouldn't normally be able to get away with. So I think he's an interesting guy because I think he's definitely got it from a physical standpoint. He's got it from a mentality standpoint. Got to dial in the technique a little bit. Like his first rep in one-on-ones was against Braswell, and Braswell kind of walked him back into the quarterback. And like I said, Braswell from Alabama, it's not a huge man, you know. Um, so, but get tightening the hands up, working the anchor, working the base. Another guy that I thought had a great week that nobody was talking about was uh, Christian Jones from Texas. And everyone kind of had him as, as a later kind of, I want to say, like fifth round, fourth round type of guy. Um, but he's played a lot of football. He's a six-year guy from Texas. Uh, he's 6'4", six, six, I think he's 6'5", he's 320. Excellent technique, 34-inch arms. And the first day of one-on-ones, didn't lose a rep. Was absolutely dominant. Slowed down a little bit after that, but a guy that is very experienced, I think has some guard flexibility. And so does he play himself into the top end of the second round? Probably not. But is he a good football player that if you needed to take a swing on somebody, I think that'd be a great fit. Um, and then the guard from uh, guard from uh, UConn. UConn is a very interesting guy. Small school guy, uh, small or, or school guy, excuse me. I don't want to besmirch UConn there. But uh, Christian Haynes, um, as long as you're not doing it for basketball, they don't care. <laughs> yeah, right. And he uh, he was an absolute maniac. Like he was finishing guys. He was you could hear I was sitting in I sit in like the top section of the bleachers. So I sit way up high so I can watch the offensive line that, you know, the receivers, the running backs kind of everybody at once. And I could hear him yelling, like talking smack, like 
you know, this weak as, you know, as you know, you know, like and just going nuts and playing, like living up to that billing. So a guy that I think a lot of people had in the fifth round, again, probably plays his way into the second, just showing he can deal with kind of the the higher level of competition. So there are some guys there. Again, there's he's probably the most complete player in that conversation we're just talking about, the kid from UConn, Christian Haynes. But like um, Patrick Paul, really interesting from a size, weight, measurable standpoint. Um, Christian Jones, from an experience, technicality standpoint, very, very interesting. Um, and I don't think I don't think people they were in that conversation at the top of the second before this week. But I think now they probably are. So, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm very curious to see what Washington does. Uh, oh. it, obviously, with those first forty or those those first three picks in the in the top. 40-ish, but then, you know, they do have a bunch of other ones, six in the top 102. So, you know, some of these guys that maybe coming out of senior bowl look like they're seconds, they were fifths going in, do yeah. they actually wind up settling into the third and becoming available for Washington could be interesting. Yeah, another guy, I just looking at my notes, I left his name off, was Kingsley Suomataya from BYU. Again, a guy that's got like that tackle frame, very raw, kind of similar to Patrick Paul, but I think had a better week of practice, honestly. So there are very talented kind of prototypical body types there for you that again, get you really excited, you know, get you really excited. And, and I know we had uh Nagy on, he was like, this is kind of a weak draft, but I think the top 120 is pretty damn good. You know? And I think that they're like going down, this is the best senior bowl I've been to. This is the best senior bowl I've watched in a while. And I think it's just talent, rich It's talent, rich at specific spots, offensive line. I think offensive tackle specifically, there are some guard players, obviously. Uh, we mentioned the kind of the bump at edge rusher that I saw here, the running back talent, and the receivers are very, very talented. But I do think there are some opportunities to get some people that, um, you know, get some good stuff going for them. So. Yeah, uh, we'll see if the contour of the draft uh, influences, obviously, what Washington does as well. Do they trade up, uh, try to get back into the second round? And, you know, kind of as we, we finish out the evaluations over the next couple of months, you know, how valuable are those fourth through seventh round picks? There's, there's so much here, uh, which is why we'll continue to talk about it. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The thing that shapes the draft perhaps more than anything else, though, Logan, is the quarterback position. Uh, Bo Nix uh, is a guy that had seemingly a very good week. Uh, Michael Penix down there as well. My big question is, is Nix going to close the gap between him as probably QB4, although that's not universal, uh, but him as potentially QB4 and those top three guys where there's all of a sudden going to be some some scouts, some teams maybe even at the GM level who have Knicks over a guy like Drake May or Jaden Daniels. Uh, is that gap uh, closable or is is even after a good week from Bo Nix down in Mobile, is there still kind of a either top one as Caleb, the next two, and then a gap? Or if you want to group those top three together, is there there's still that gap between uh, May, Daniels, and Williams, and then Knicks and everybody else behind him. So I think the Senior Bowl was really interesting for quarterbacks, and I would imagine it's very, very challenging for quarterbacks because you're learning new offenses, you're doing new stuff. And I don't think Bo Nix did anything that would change your mind from the film you saw. 
And so there's people that like I, I, I consume a lot of draft content this time of year. You know, I'm, I'm listening to five or six podcasts about the draft. I'm reading pretty much everything that comes out about the draft just to kind of get a feel for the general consensus. And really, to me, this quarterback class, even in the top three, but especially after the top three, becomes a beauty in the eye of the beholder situation. And there was a guy that I saw recently who thinks uh, J.J. McCarthy is the fourth quarterback and Bo Nix is the 10th quarterback. Like, I don't agree with that, but I do think that there are, it just is a matter of perspective. Like, do you value what he brings? Like, his he's got a strong arm. He's very confident in his arm. He can throw on time. He gets a little bit antsy with his feet, and that can be problematic. But that's what he did at the Senior Bowl, you know? And then Penix is kind of the same thing. He's got a cannon for an arm. He pushes the football that football down the field really well. Um, doesn't layer throws particularly well. Doesn't add the, le- the, uh, the value with his legs that a lot of people think. And that's kind of what you got coming out of that, right? So I actually thought that those two guys threw the ball nicely. I know there were a lot of people that were very critical of their performances, but I thought they threw the ball nicely. And I think that's kind of shows up in – the, the morning practice when you compare it to the second practice. They're part of the morning group. They're part of the national roster, the American roster practice second. So the American roster had, you know, Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton, uh, Michael Pratt, and Bradley Carter. Not a lot of household names in there. And there were days where the American roster, which is that second group of quarterbacks I just mentioned, couldn't complete a pass, like even in one-on-ones. And then with the national roster, I just felt like the ball rarely hit the ground. And so to me, that's the receivers, obviously very, very talented, but it's the accuracy of the quarterback. And I just think it speaks to that skill set. So I think those guys are definitely the more talented. Like I think uh, Nix is extremely talented, like very, very physically gifted. But I, like I said, it do you weigh the stuff he did at Auburn more than the stuff he did at Oregon? Like I don't because I like the stuff he did at Oregon. But I know there are a lot of people that don't like that and they, it makes them nervous. So – to me, I think he's closing a gap. I don't think the gap will be closed. I think he's definitively the the, depending on how you want to rank it, the the fifth or sixth, the fourth, fifth or sixth quarterback. I personally have him as my fourth guy. But again, I I I, I understand why people have Penix above him. I don't understand why people have like AJ McCarthy, for example, ahead of him for just a point of comp there. Yeah, JJ McCarthy, a guy that I haven't watched yet, uh, but definitely we'll we'll do a deep dive. We'll do, we should do just like a, a guide to the quarterbacks yeah. episode uh, somewhere later on in the spring. Um, I would ask this uh, to wrap up here with Cliff in tow, knowing some of what we talked about at the beginning, schematically, the way he wants to attack, the RPO stuff, all that. Is there any one of these these second tier quarterbacks that you think is a, a better fit than the others if Washington gets some crazy offer for the second pick and they wind up trading down? Yeah, I mean it depends on where they're trading down to. Um like obviously if it's Well, let's say it's in the range that they can get one of those three guys. They get McCarthy, Penix, or Nix. Yeah, I personally think Bo Nix would be the guy there. I think he's got a really quick release. I think he's got a good feel for kind of some of that RPO stuff. I think his vision's really good when it comes to reading the field, especially at Oregon, obviously. Like Auburn's a different kind of cat. I think he adds value with his legs, and I think it's enough value to kind of affect the game. And I think when we talked about some of the things that made um, made Cliff's offense work in 2021, it was that the quarterback could move a little bit. And I think that's a guy that definitely fits that bill. So um, I'm, I'm a high on him right now. We'll see. I think McCarthy, um, people are going to sleep on him a little bit from an athleticism standpoint. I think he's going to run like a four or five. He's got a cannon for an arm. So maybe that's the solution there. But I got, like I said, I got to watch more of him. And the problem with McCarthy, there just aren't a lot of throws. He just didn't, wasn't asked to throw the ball out of Michigan. Didn't have to step up in big moments, but 
the talents there and I could see someone falling in love with it, but I just, I, I prefer what I saw from Bo Nix when he was in Oregon and a couple that with the talent. I think it's, you know, you're always hedging risk and hedging your bets. I think it's just a, a safer pick. So. Yeah. Uh, McCarthy is such an interesting one just from a resume standpoint. Like he just was the national championship winning quarterback for right. Jim Harbaugh. And that on its own seems like something that's worth uh, taking a sniff at. But as you mentioned, the tape, the experience um, lacks because of the way that they played at Michigan. So uh, definitely going to be an interesting eval. I feel like so many of these guys are interesting evals. You know, we talked about it with Caleb a ton. Yeah. Like, what do you make of, of a guy that can do everything but doesn't do a lot of the stuff basically that you want? Uh, you know, Daniels with the receivers, uh, May, it's all over the place. Right. Like there's this this is such a tough I mean, quarterback's always tough, but especially this year, it seems like uh there's there's a lot of, as you said, beauty in the eye of the beholder uh when it comes to breaking all these guys down. We will continue to do it though. That's not gonna stop us uh here on Take Command. Uh plenty of draft content and coverage coming over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, also uh and really next couple of months. Also, uh next week probably have a little bit more insight on what th this offense and defense is gonna look like as the commanders continue to fill out the staff. I know Dan Quinn is working very hard on that right now um other than that uh mock draft 1.0 potentially next week so uh put a pin in that that would be very fun uh we enjoy doing that so uh look forward to that uh in the meantime super bowl week continues here in las vegas uh we're live on the team 984 to 7 every day or the next two days i should say thursday friday with the Hoffman Show. Uh, that is all for this episode of Take Command. If you've gotten this far and you're perhaps new to the show or just you know check in on occasion, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. <laughs> we would very much appreciate it on your favorite podcast platform or if you are watching us on YouTube at 106.7 The Fan. Uh, for Logan, I'm Craig, and we will see you next week here on Take Command.